The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Robin. Welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast episode. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, May 8th, 2023, as we bring you a new episode. Gasp! The Chicago White Sox have done it again! They won two out of three games in Cincinnati to win back-to-back series for the season. That's a first. They went 4-2 and two this past week, which is the best week they've had in 2023. That's good. But in typical White Sox fashion, it comes at a cost. As Eloy Jimenez is now out for the next four to six weeks, how will the White Sox navigate this roster change And a roster that has seen so much churn this past week, it's hard to keep track of all the moves. We'll recap what happened in Cincinnati, also talk about Bob Nightingale's latest column in a segment we are going to call Nightwashing. As Nightingale mentions what the near future could hold for Lucas Giolito, Kendall Graveman, Joe Kelly, and Liam Hendricks. Plus, the White Sox try to keep the good vibes rolling as they visit Kansas City this week for a four-game series. So let's get started. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I know you had a last-minute emergency that needed your attention, but you were missed this past weekend in Cincinnati. A lot of people asked where you were. Uh, They were a bit sad that you weren't able to make it. Uh, It is a bummer, but... We did press on, and it was Cincinnati ended up being a very good road trip. Yeah, probably only a bit. Uh, yeah, just had a uh, COVID popped up in the family, and uh, sure enough, you know, got me too. And uh, it was just as I was about to start packing, my my uh, mini Margulis uh, was showing signs, and just you know, got to the point where eh, maybe we should check before leaving. And sure enough, uh, you know, the, the tests were not good, and we're like, yeah, well. I figured either way, like I'd be going, I'd be wearing a mask. And I'm sure people who have met me know and people who have heard my voice on this podcast know uh, or can tell my voice does not project well. So (laughs) you put a mask in front of my mouth in a loud place and nobody stands a shot of hearing me. So I figured either way, if (laughs) I I showed up wearing, you know, having the mask up the whole time, like I would have just been. (laughs) 
So yeah, ultimately it was for the best. And, and you know, sure enough, uh, I got to, so it, it's bad luck. I've had some concerts canceled, uh, on me because of COVID. And now I understand how they feel when hundreds to thousands of people who are anticipating your arrival in a city are heartbroken, uh, when all of a sudden, uh, you know, a medical, uh, not, not, I would call it an emergency, but a situation pops up and gets in the way. I'm sure it's exactly the same thing, but I was, you know, following the video, following the, uh, you know, Instagrams, following the, the, the photos and the tweets and the hashtags. And I was like, I had to drop out here and there just because like, I was just getting too irritated saying like everybody having a fun time without me. Like that's the thing, like I can cancel, but everybody else still shows up and has a good time. So that's the way it's not like the concerts I've missed in which they're delayed. Like I cannot push back the Cincinnati game months later so I could attend. So how was it? <laughs> I'm sorry. How was it? Did you, did you have fun? Did you have a good time, Josh? Did you guys have fun? I'm so sorry, Jim. I know the FOMO <laughs> is bad. You know, Cincinnati was a good time. That was my first time visiting Cincinnati. So for those podcast listeners that live in the area uh, or maybe have visited Cincinnati many a times, uh, I enjoyed the weekend trip to Cincinnati and Cincinnati is a weekend town. Like you can do everything that you want in Cincinnati in a weekend. Uh, other weekend towns that I enjoy like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's a weekend town, Minneapolis, Minneapolis is definitely a weekend town. Like you wouldn't be there all week. You would get bored if you had to visit the, that city for the entire week, unless you had like family and friends that lived in the area. Uh, but it, it was a enjoyable weekend. I enjoyed the city. I am jealous of Cincinnati because of the plaza. And the plaza is, I believe they call it the banks, outside a Great American Ballpark. And it's where they have apartments and they have the AC Hotel, which is a Marriott property there. And they have several bars. that are, It's literally across the street from Great American Ballpark. And that's where we had our meetups. And they have open container designated in that area. And it made it so easy for a large crowd like us to meet up pre and post game. After the game's done, you can go out to the plaza, go to one of the to-go stands, get yourself a beer, stand in the plaza, chill, hang out. Several of the bars had live music going on. So now you're listening to a really bad cover band trying to play Blink-182. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just, you know, hanging out in the plaza. It's three chords. <laughs> it's three chords. How can you screw I up? I know. It, it was a lot of drum. The The sound was way off. I, all I heard was drums. Mm. Anyways, so I, I'm pretty jealous that Cincinnati has that. And as a visiting fan, like I would totally go back to Cincinnati. And if I knew other White Sox fans were going to be there, that's where the pregame and postgame is going to be, uh, is in that plaza. Just it makes a lot of sense. There's several bars there. It's easy uh, to navigate and just create a, a big horde of White Sox fans. Just hang out, drink beer and get either excited or uh, enjoy our misery if the White Sox lose. Not everything was great in Cincinnati, though. I did try the Skyline Chili, Jim. Moist. It looked moist. Moist doesn't even begin to describe <laughs> this chili. <laughs> so I'm in line. And before I get in line, though, one step back. My buddy Paul, in, when, when we went to Texas, I convinced him to get the boomstick. And that's the, like, three-foot hot chili hot dog that the Rangers yeah. have. 
And he ate that damn thing by himself. So before I go, he goes and he gets two Skyline Coney dogs. So it's not like if he had a beef hot dog. It's not that long. It's a, it's a shorter guy. And they put the chili on it and they top it with shredded cheese. And he had two of them. And his review was the hot dogs are worse than the chili. And he is a lifelong Chicagoan. So if mm-hmm. he doesn't like the hot dogs, then the hot dog is no good. So I decided not to go in that direction. So I look at the menu mm. and I thought, you know, maybe chili cheese nachos could be a good option. As they were making my nacho plate, I didn't get the helmet. And maybe I should have got the batter's helmet because... How was the line? First of all, like, was it a long line? What was the demand like? Uh, it was three lines, at least eight people deep. When I got okay, there. so you weren't you weren't like walking up and being like, "Huh, this is strangely unpopular. This is right a thing people get." Nope it it the lines were pretty consistent. Okay, uh, for the two games that we won on Friday and Saturday, lots of Reds fans though, not a lot of White Sox fans. So they make the nachos. So it's chips, it's chili, it's nacho cheese, and it's shredded cheese on top. As a scani, lots of cheese. I'm feeling pretty good about my decision. Until they hand me the cardboard box and it's already getting soggy. Mm. So the clock is ticking and I look at the chili and I'm wondering why is it so watery? There's so much water in this chili. Mm. So I hustle like back to the scene. Exactly. It's like diet chili. I get back to the seat and my future sister-in-law, Andy, she takes my phone. She records me on video and if you haven't seen it i posted it on my twitter which you could post you can find it at, at socks machine underscore josh and i take a bite and it was i immediately regretted like it was awful the, i can't begin to describe the chili taste like the, the best way i could describe it is diet hormel mm. <laughs> it's just mm. I, it, it was bad. It was bad. And not only was it bad, and I try to eat as much as I can, I'm looking at the box, and now I'm worried I have to make a decision here. I have to eat all of this, or I have to trash it because I'm worried the cardboard container is not going to hold the chili, and then I'm going to have Skyline chili all over my lap. <laughs> uh, so I made the awful decision of eating all of it. Uh, and then tossing the box and my digestive system hates me (laughs) as someone that enjoys eating Taco Bell skyline chili will destroy you (laughs) more than Taco Bell does. Your choices were chili on the outside or chili on the inside. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And I went with chili in the inside and I regret that decision. So for those that love the skyline chili, (laughs) bless your hearts. I don't know how, you enjoy it. I, I could not do the spaghetti at all after this experience. I could not. Uh, so to go back to the hot dog thing, how bad's that hot dog? Paul gave it a one out of 10. It's gray and it just tastes like the worst parts that they used of like the pigs and the cows. And and it cried when you bit into it. Yeah. It just, he, <laughs> just he's like, it, it was awful. Awful. Yeah. Cause I was thinking like maybe the chili was like, you know, maybe it was like praise for the chili and he'd rather have the chili without the hot dog. Like I could see that being misconstrued to mm-hmm. be somewhat of a compliment to the chili. Well, Paul thought if you took a Vieta beef hot dog and you replaced it 
with the Coney Dog, maybe the Skyline Chili's got a chance with a high quality hot dog. Mm. So kind of like meat sauce, like in upstate New York, we had meat sauce on hot dogs mm-hmm. and it's kind of like not quite straight up chili, um, which is why it's gonna, I never really took to it just because it felt like kind of redundant or kind of like in between toppings. Like I, I didn't like it. Like I like a you know, standard chili cheese dog. So I never took to it, but it wasn't bad. But it struck me as like looking at the consistency and texture that that's kind of what that reminded me of. And that would not be unheard of to have like a good hot dog with, you know, skyline chili slash meat sauce on top yeah maybe they have to try it they have to get a better hot dog but yeah that was the skyline chili experience folks i uh unless you know they they have like the hot dog is like to help the chili play up like if it's sponsored by skyline Hmm. it's like skyline chili is a three but it's hanging out with a one exactly so it looks like a six Oh, not good, folks. I do not recommend. Uh, they do have Penn Station, though, at Great American Ballpark, and that was excellent. Huh. Fantastic fries. Like the sandwich place? Yeah, the sandwich place. And they yeah. had uh, cheesesteaks there. The cheesesteak was awesome. Their cheesesteak's way better than the cheesesteak at uh, Guarantee Rayfield. Uh, so that was fantastic. That was fantastic. Yeah, I'm always happy when I come across one of those. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was excellent. So... Yeah, the there's other food and beer as well at Great Great American Ballpark that was pretty good as well. I think everybody was happy with as far as the drink selection, but obviously Skyline Chili is like the Chicago Malort. <laughs> it's what Malort is to Chicago, Skyline Chili is to Cincinnati. So I've had it. That was the experience. You can either learn from my lesson or you can run to the nearest Skyline Chili and try it for yourself if you've never had it before. Run to and run from. Uh, so how was the real quick? How was the ballpark itself in terms of like sight lines, amenities, uh, just you know the the convenience of getting in and out and around. Okay, so getting in uh, made made us all angry because their security, as far as the check ins that you walk through with the metal detectors, are far more advanced than what the White Sox have. You do not have to empty your pockets. It takes two minutes to get through security, no matter how long the line is. Where at Guarantee Rate Field, you can miss innings because of oh. security just getting through. So it made you angry by comparison. Yeah, it's like, why don't the White Sox have this? Like, yeah. it, we pretty much just walked into the stadium and you walk through metal detectors and they are more advanced than what the White Sox have. It's like this is what we need, and they also had a season ticket, a season ticket holder entrance that also made us angry. That's another stadium that has one that the White <laughs> Sox do not have. Uh, the sight lines were great; it was easy to walk around the stadium. Uh, concession items a little bit redundant uh, throughout the ballpark. If you find it in one area, you're definitely going to find it on the other side of the stadium. Uh, so a little bit of copy and paste there uh, at great American ballpark, but all the seats are pointed towards home plate. So they're all angled towards home plate. Uh, and you know, that was nice. And we were in section 108, of course, and that's on the, the left field foul pole, but more towards uh, foul territory. 
And uh, I thought we had a great we had a great line of sight uh, watching the entire game. At 6:40, the sun is in your eyes for the first half an hour of the game until the sun sets below, or I, I should say, behind the top of the stadium, uh, and then everything is in the shade. But I like it. It's a solid ballpark. I think I like Target Field more in Minneapolis than Great American Ballpark, but I would definitely revisit. Great American Ballpark. That is a solid baseball stadium. Good to know. Wish I could have made it. But yeah, I'm glad he had a good time. Glad it went well. Looked like everybody had a good time. So congrats to uh, a job well done. Thank you. And we'll have another road trip next season once we get the 2024 schedule. Uh, the meeting of the minds will sit down and we'll discuss uh, where the next meetups will be for the 2024 season. So if you didn't get we a have chance, a preferred location, we do. We know exactly <laughs> what we are looking for <laughs> when we get the 2024 schedule. So if you didn't get a chance to go to this year's road trip, we will have one, maybe two. Maybe two in 2024, depending on how the schedule looks. And, of course, we'll announce that uh, in August when we do get the 2024 schedule. All right. Enough about Cincinnati and how much fun we had. Let's talk about the games that happened on the field. As the Chicago White Sox took two out of three against the Reds. Two close games and then a bizarre game in game three to close it out on Sunday. There was some concern if this game was going to be played as uh, heavy rains on Sunday morning really impacted the flying pig marathon. So poor marathon runners had to run through pretty substantial amount of rain and it was pretty cold in the morning, but the skies cleared up. And after Michael Kopech allows a leadoff home run to Jonathan India, the Chicago White Sox, scored two runs in the top of the second inning and with two outs would proceed to score nine more runs. They had an 11 run second inning gym. Where the hell did that offensive outburst come from? <laughs> Good question. It's basically what the White Sox had dealt with all year in terms of not being able to close the door with two outs and just having innings go on forever you know, it, it was nice to be on the other side of it and to see just at bat after at bat, uh, mistake pitches, uncompetitive pitches, like uh, easy walks, like the the walk that Tim Anderson drew, I think, and, and Hanser Alberto, they're like five and four pitches, like not having a swing, not having to consider it. That makes it really easy to like move guys up. And when Yasmani Grandal's on second, you feel like a single won't score him, but Yasmani Grandal moves to third, you know, that's that's easy. He scores automatically if the if the ball lands safely. So, you know, little stuff like that, I think, contributed to it. And it was like perfect sequencing that White Sox pitchers have excelled at giving up. So, you know, hats off to great at bats up and down the lineup. Um, a little bit of uh, messy defense and right by Will Myers, too, to help, you know, uh, Andrew Vaughn triple, which is always welcome to see. Always fun to see uh, Andrew Vaughn have to run, uh, you know, 270 feet uh, and, and make it there safely. So that worked out well, uh, but it was enjoyable. Like it was just, you know, good at bats and letting Cincinnati pitching dig itself into a hole. Like they did not, they managed to not let them off the hook, which was uh, really nice to see because we've seen the lot. I, I mean, going back to the Minnesota series and the, it bats late in that game where first pitch, low breaking balls beaten to the ground, couldn't get the runner home from third. Like we'd, we'd seen a lot of bad at bats recently. So it did seem like they were able to recenter themselves, especially after game two of this series to where when the bullpen entered, they just couldn't 
you know, manage really any quality at bats. Here was a case where they did seem to you know, re- get like a good refocus on the task at hand and just wait for mistakes. And they made plenty. As I was making the drive back home from Cincinnati to Chicago on Sunday, the White Sox offense in that game, in that offensive outburst, ruined what was going to be one of my talking points that I want to discuss with you, Jim, in this episode. And the White Sox scored 17 runs, eight of them against the starting pitcher, nine against the bullpen. Those nine runs ruined my talking point that I wanted to discuss with you because in the first two games that I was in attendance for, the White Sox scored all five runs off of Hunter Green Mm -hmm. and all three runs on Nick Lodolo. Zero runs against the Reds' bullpen. And when we did the preview, we talked about it, just how much the Reds' starting pitching has struggled. The White Sox had to capitalize on that, and they did. But the Reds' bullpen had an ERA that was almost two runs better than the starters. They were middle of the pack in Major League Baseball. The White Sox would have to find ways to score against the Reds relievers late. And in those two games, they did not. They did win one game, but the other game, they just couldn't come back after Mike Clevenger allowed that big three-run homer that felt that the White Sox fell behind 4-3. to three. They ended up losing that game 5-3. to three. Before Sunday's game, White Sox hitters against relief pitchers we're hitting 189 with a 278 on base percentage and sluggy just 310. That's a 588 OPS. Now, Sunday is going to totally change those numbers and they're going to look a lot better. But this is something that you've been hinting at, Jim, for a couple of weeks now. Now I'm paying attention to it. The White Sox hitters, except for Sunday, are struggling greatly against relief pitching late in games. And this is something we definitely going to have to pay attention to, especially if the White Sox want to keep the good vibes going, Jim. Well, especially when you look at the, the shape of the first two games and like Hunter green, not being able to pick him up until like the, the third time through. And then they started hammering him. Lodolo Lodolo got through the first time. Okay. And then the second time, you know, he started paying for his control issues. Like, you know, what he walked three guys and hit three guys and, you know, they were able to take the lead on him. Fortunately, Clevenger gave it back, but you know, in both cases, like the game was still close enough to where the reds were able to use their good relievers and even like their, their ordinary relievers. And I'm looking it up. Yeah. You mentioned the 189 average and 278 OBP 310 slugging 588 uh, OPS worst in the American league. Actually, (laughs) Uh, Oakland is actually 11th. The four worst teams hitting bullpens are all in the AL Central. (laughs) So you have the Royals, Tigers, Guardians, and White Sox. So, wow. Yeah. So you could be watching a lot of zeros as the AL Central shows up on the calendar now. Like, have a series against the Royals coming up. That's, I guess, we can sneak preview. uh, One of the things to pay attention to is just, how many games are, or how many runs are scored in the second half of the game? So there's that. But, you know, when we were talking about, you know, jumping on the starters, it seemed like, you know, Hunter Green, they got to him and they held that lead. Lodolo, they got to him, but maybe not enough. And maybe too late in the game to where um, David Bell could shift to his bullpen, have the good relievers carried across the way, like, uh, and, and do a good job at it. And White Sox couldn't really muster anything. And then losing Eloy hurt as well, just really shorten up the lineup. But, you know, when you, 
post eight runs against the starter in the second inning and don't really allow the uh, bullpen to take shape and realize how many innings are left to cover. That's when you start getting like the real front end guys, the guys who are neither, you know, they're not going to be there to hang around. They're going to be there to be fresh arms more or less. And if they don't work out well, they'll be shuttled down to, is it Louisville? Yeah. Uh, they have Louisville. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and somebody from Louisville will come up. So that's kind of, you know, how you have to look at it. And in this case, they were able to get to that, you know, sweet, sweet front of the bullpen uh, before, you know, medium leverage guys could come into play. And I think that's uh, with the way the White Sox have hit relievers, that's the way they've had to do it. And they just haven't had the firepower or everybody healthy enough to do that regularly. So it is a problem. And I think we'll have to see um, when we get into a, a fresh series with, you know, potentially fresh arms, we'll see what, you know, the, the Royals have, but if, the starters are able to provide five innings against the White Sox. That's when it seems like those late innings get really fallow for just exactly what the White Sox can provide and what kind of either insurance runs or if they're trying to come back, like how hard that is for them to do that. And this is on the new hitting coaching staff for the White Sox. They have to do a better job, at least preparing their hitters against these relievers, whether that's film, scouting reports, whatever. I mean, Again, Sunday's numbers are going to greatly increase on in what the White Sox were doing before Sunday. But before Sunday, White Sox hitters as a team had a 588 OPS against relief pitching. That's got to improve the White Sox want to continue these good vibes. But speaking of good vibes, Luis Robert, what a series, Jim, for the White Sox this weekend. He ends up going 7 for 8. As he walked twice, he was also hit twice by a pitch. He had two doubles. He had a home run, that big home run against Hunter Green, helped the White Sox win the first game of the series. He had four RBIs over the weekend. He made a fantastic throw in that first game to double up the runner at first base in the ninth inning. I mean, that was, on a football field, easy from the 50-yard line. Just nailed that throw right at Andrew Vaughn. It was an incredible throw. Before this series... Robert's season numbers were a 218 batting average, a 273 on base percentage, slugging 429. After this series, Robert is hitting 260, a 329 on base percentage, and slugging 496. This series has fixed his season numbers, Jim. Right back to where we were expecting. Raising his batting average by 42 points, his on base percentage by 56 points, and raising his slugging percentage by 67 points. We'll talk about Eloy in a minute, but this is, you know, we've we've talked a lot about Luis Robert in this show. Everyone's talked a lot about Luis Robert and what has been going on with him. Uh, fantastic series from him. We have seen the lows. We've seen the bad Luis Robert. Mm -hmm. This is the good Luis Robert. This is why White Sox fans should continue to believe in Luis Robert because this version of him does exist. And when he is performing at this level, it is a game changer for the White Sox. Yeah, it was quite a palate cleanser of a series with just how well he played in all regards. Even uh, on a fly ball to left, was uh, pursuing it, was calling for it. Andrew Benintendi was parked under it, and Robert realized that. He pulled up and he uh, let Benintendi catch it uh, well within the radius, like the fair catch radius. Like he, he pulled up well short of that, uh, did not try to interfere with uh, Benintendi's catch, and everybody seemed to appreciate it. So uh, better communication on that front too. So whether there was uh, some tough love talk or whether it was a, um, you know, he and Griffal getting on the same page and just, you know, 
either airing some stuff out or just you know, re, you know, speaking of recentering, like just recentering Robert in the whole proceedings, because we, we talked about just how it was hard to characterize the behavior as like kind of petulance, but also kind of um, trying to be uh, stoic and play through something that he shouldn't be playing through. Not quite checked out, because if you're checked out, he just wouldn't run at all. He wouldn't you know, sprint out of the box. He wouldn't want to even want to be in the lineup if there was an excuse not to be. So we couldn't exactly figure it out and, you know, just a real tidy one or two word, you know, phrase that could help uh, characterize it. Now with the way he played against Cincinnati, kind of get a break from the talk and just can see the, um, see the maturation. You, you hope that the maturation sticks. Like sometimes his maturation has been temporary, not like personality wise, but just in terms of his approach. Um, he goes from chasing everything to taking walks and allowing himself to get plunked with two strikes to raise it on base percentage. So I'm not sure why his you know plate discipline and his aggression just uh, fluctuates so wildly week to week in that sometimes he looks completely clueless and sometimes he looks like, he, you know, he is a fourth year player who should be peaking. And all of a sudden, here's the sum of his talents and he looks like he can be an all-star. Uh, that's what makes it so maddening, but it's nice to know that as bad of a week as he had and as bad as the White Sox have started, like he's still invested in helping turn this around because the White Sox, you know, they're four and two, the last two series, like they're starting to turn it around. Um, it's going to be a gradual process to dig out of the hole they created, but there he is front and center of this effort to do so. And you just hope it sticks and you hope that his body allows him to do that. And then Hanser Roberto, he had a big game on Sunday uh, he had a couple doubles. He had two home runs in the series. He had five RBIs. He reached base seven times in the White Sox series. We'll see if that sticks. I again, it's Hans Roberto. We'll see if that sticks for the White Sox. But yeah, I mean, like with with Alberto though, I think you're seeing the difference between like him and like Romy Gonzalez or Lenin Sosa. Sure. Like just you know, rosterable, playable. Like maybe replacement level. Like maybe barely above it, but has major league skills or at least major league. Um, you just a mindset, being able to bounce back, like, you know, in, in a series where he hit two home runs, he also like had a real bad sack bunt attempt when, you know, most teams would be trying to, to step on it. Like, you know, even he doesn't seem to trust himself sometimes with like some of his decisions and actions. And, uh, you know, looks like he's somebody who, you know, has to lay down a bunt because he might ground into a double play. And then, you know, Andrews hits the three run homer <laughs> right afterwards to make it, well, yeah, at least he didn't ground into a double play. So you understand like, you know, that, you know, he is not necessarily good, but compared to other guys, the White Sox have tried to fill in infield spots around. Like you understand why Griffal would play him over somebody else, even if like Lenin Sosa might have more long-term impact for this franchise. Like if you're just trying to get by and if you're trying to uh, not lose too many games, uh, you know, Alberto is probably the better bet to get that. And then, you know, as long as Moncada's out and as long as, you know, Andres is kind of iffy and, you know, God forbid if Anderson misses time again, like he has to be involved. Like you're, you're going to need like Alberto somehow, or you're going to need like a turnaround from Sosa. And uh, I'm not sure if you can count on that just yet. Like I think Sosa might be fine by the end of the year, but in these very critical weeks of trying not to get too far behind, you know, I can understand why Griffal would lean on somebody like Alberto and it's good to see him produce because the alternative is 
Alberto not producing and Griffal still playing him. There is bad news to discuss as not everything went well in Cincinnati outside of my Skyline Chili experience. Eloy Jimenez is now out the next four to six weeks. We'll discuss his latest injury and how the White Sox plan to overcome his absence next on the Sox Machine podcast. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customable snow glasses, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair you've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. I actually have three pairs from Shady Rays because they just look awesome and I'm very picky about my sunglasses. Sometimes I like to match my sunglasses with my outfit. I could be that way. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Again, that's ShadyRays.com, promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Welcome back to the Socks Machine podcast. All right. Unfortunately, we have to talk about the bad news and uh, this bad news kind of surprised everyone over the weekend. After the Friday night game, Eloy Jimenez had to go to the local hospital in Cincinnati and needed emergency surgery as he had he suffered appendicitis. And now Jimenez is out the next four to six weeks. And Jim, this is nothing new as a White Sox fan. We have seen this type of procedure done before all the way back in 2011 with mm-hmm. Adam Dunn. Uh, Adam Dunn, maybe not wisely, returned to the White Sox in six days instead of four to six weeks. And obviously it impacted Adam Dunn as he posted one of the worst batting averages in Major League Baseball history. And really created, I think his total war value, according to baseball reference, was like minus 2.9 war. That's how bad Adam Dunn was in 2011. And you could point to that emergency procedure and not giving himself enough time to recover. Jimenez is going to be given enough time to recover. But Jim, just from a perspective of Eloy Jimenez, this is more injury bad luck. Now, it's hard to blame him for this latest setback. Uh, It's impossible. No one should. It's an emergency situation. But it is another significant absence on his resume, and this was a focal point coming to the season. Eloy, you got to stay healthy, man. They're not playing you out on the field as much. You're going to be more of a DH, so you could play every day. Kind of the same strategy the Minnesota Twins are using with Byron Buxton. Well, it's working in Minnesota. It's not working on the south side of Chicago. And unfortunately, Jimenez is going to miss more time, Jim. Yeah, it's, you know, when it comes to Jimenez, yeah, I think there was a little bit of, you know, why can't he stay on the field? Like a lot of frustration, um, you know, people who did express frustration, I don't think it, it was 
malicious. It was more just, you know, probably letting um, irritation, uh, you know, form and, and, and you kind of an exhaust pipe for that. And then realize like, oh, yeah, just that is bad luck. But it does, I think, underscore the flaws in the hashtag basically stay healthy approach. Like even if you had a, you know, front line of Anderson and Moncada and Jimenez and Robert, and they didn't have injury issues. There's always something like this that can pop up and knock them out for a month at a time. Just bad luck. Something that can happen to anybody happening to Jimenez. And I'm trying to think who it was. I, I think it might've been a Van Scowen tweet talking about like how the four to six weeks may be just kind of precautionary at this point. I think, you know, uh, appendectomies can vary depending on how, invasive the surgery is and like you know how severe the appendicitis was like how late you know perhaps uh it was addressed you know in terms of just the recovery time warranted like i was looking back at dunn's uh coverage just because i was trying to remember exactly how many days it was and he said he wanted to play the next day and ozzy said that's insane and you know took a few days but even then like six days was a little bit ridiculous, but then like Matt Holiday at the same time also had an appendectomy that month. He missed nine days and I think he hit 400 in April and had like a great season for Oakland. I think he was with at the time. So, yeah, you know, Dunn, I think didn't do himself any favors, but also I think like Holiday shows like, I guess it is possible theoretically to only have to miss like a week or two. But I think, you know, once he undergoes evaluation, they see like how much probably, yeah, I'm guessing it comes down to how much, um, like torque can his core take after abdominal surgery and how long will that take to heal? I imagine, you know, maybe the, um, the timetable will be revised if they say like, well, four to six weeks was initially for, you know, most people in this case, you know, given the prehab he's done by being an athlete, essentially, maybe it'll be less, but I think the white Sox have to plan, uh, for him to be out. And right now they plan to go with three catchers. You'll probably see with Yasmani Grandal being the, primary DH because the outfielders they could bring up are, you know, either guys they've tried and didn't quite work like Oscar Colas or kind of all varying flavors of sub replacement level. And that was going to be my follow-up question roster wise. How do you imagine the White Sox are going to handle DH and let's say even right field with Jimenez out. And as you mentioned, Jim, it's probably going to be a lot of Yasmani Grandal at DH. Carlos Perez is up. Now he's the backup catcher. So it looks like Sevi Zavala is going to get some run as the starting catcher for the White Sox. And we'll see if we notice a defensive improvement behind a home plate. And again, from a Sevi Zavala point of view, this is big for him because he did hit a home run over the weekend in Cincinnati. And with almost y- hit two. Almost hit two. And, yeah, well, uh, Myers robbed him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Myers did rob him on Sunday. And uh, if with Grandal being a free agent, the White Sox have some uncertainty at the catching position. So we'll see what this longer run defensively. Can Savi Zavala prove to be a viable starting catcher for the 2024 White Sox and beyond? Uh, so we'll get a, a chance to see that. But as you mentioned, as far as like the outfielders in Charlotte, like Steven Piscotti, I think, is still hanging around. He's got major league experience. Clint Frazier... Uh, is providing an impact to the Charlotte Knights right now. Uh, it could just be kind of like 2021 where you just have these random guys that come up like Brian Goodwin and Jake Lamb, and you're hoping that they could give you a, a good two weeks. So is, is this the way we should look at it from a White Sox fan perspective on how they handle DH and right field with Jimenez out is that 
this may be like a week by week type of situation for the White Sox. We may see multiple faces come up and join the major league team to try to help out and fill out this void. I think a lot of it will come down to what happens with Moncada and Berger. Like Moncada okay. might be rejoining the team as early as this, you know, upcoming series against Kansas City. Berger doesn't seem like his is too severe, although with oblique injuries, you never know in Berger's health injury or health history, you never quite know. But, you know, should they you know, both return within a, a fairly expeditious amount of time or expedient amount of time. Um, you could see a case where like Moncada plays third and Berger's the DH or Berger's DH against righties and Grandal's a D or, or sorry, uh, Berger's a DH against lefties. Grandal's a DH against righties, or maybe, you know, that's a case where you have Gavin Sheets slide over and then you maybe have a defensive first, you know, Adam Hazley in right field. You can kind of mix and match, but I think Grandal will probably be the, you know, for the next few days, be the primary DH, or at least you'll see a lot of them there. Maybe Gavin Sheets, you know, there, and then Adam Hazley in the outfield. But I think the long-term or even like the medium-term um, picture, as long as Jimenez is out, is probably contingent on just whether Moncada and Berger can stay healthy. Because if Moncada can stay healthy, he's playing third, and then Berger probably moves in the DH spots, at least for a good chunk of those at-bats. If Moncada's not healthy, Berger's healthy, Berger's playing third, you know, and, and Sheets probably moves over to take some spots. So I think this is more of long lines just getting by. Um, you know, Grandal's had a couple of weird swings where he tweaks his back. You think it's like, oh, it's this is gonna need surgery, you know, done for the year. And turns out like he's back the next day. But given his, you know, just what he's gone through the last couple of years in terms of going under the knife, you know, always you can see his career flash before your eyes a little bit when he has that weird reaction to a, a swing in the box and his knees buckle a little bit. So uh, I think having seen that a couple of times, I think Griffal is realizing like, I just don't want to hang my, you know, catcher out to dry if he takes a bad foul tip and have to play him or have to use the emergency catcher. And I've already gone through my whole bench because of all the, uh, uh, defensive replacements and all the other replacements he's done already in that game that we talked about before. So this, you know, strikes me as just a short-term assignment, maybe Perez. I'm not even sure if he gets a start depending on how quickly Mancada and Berger come back. But uh, this, you know, should Jimenez be out or should Jimenez suffer another injury or should Mancada suffer an injury? This will be like one thing to test just in case another shortage of bats and, and uh, you know, specifically like the whole, DH glut they used to have. If that dries up again, Grandal is probably the first stringer there. Yeah, with Mancada, the White Sox have to be careful with the back injury. They really do. Like, just they're gonna they're gonna have to be careful. And I know that yeah. they're gonna have to be careful. They're just gonna have to be careful. And and what I mean by that is, I don't think he's gonna play every day. If he comes up and he joins the White Sox in time for this series at Kansas City gym from Gwinnett. He's not he's not playing every game in this Royal Series. He's gonna need he may go two on one day off. Two on one day off. Uh and that's where you're still gonna see some Hans Roberto starts at third base. Like the White Sox just need to manage Makata's back situation so he can get through the rest of the 2023 season and they can decide in the offseason if there's any if there's anything that they could do to to help fix as far as his back issue before going to the 2024 season. But when any type of disc issue in the back scares me. Uh, maybe that's just my old age speaking, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> it, 
especially third baseman me. like brings Joe Creed in mind. Uh, yeah. Just third baseman hitting the ground a lot. Uh, it does have a certain reflexive amount of fear to it. Um, but hopefully when Makata comes back, there will be a little bit of, you know, I'm not sure if transparency is the right word, but just a little bit of, you know, Griffal being forthcoming in terms of just what should we expect just so fans, you know, set correct expectations and don't say like, oh, Makata's sitting again. I guess he can't handle it. Or like, why is Griffal being, uh, why, why is Griffal benching his best defender? It just, you know, it doesn't make anybody look good if they're sitting and they don't know why. Whereas if Griffal or Mankata say like, it's a situation we're managing throughout the year, it's going to be tough for him to play three games in a row, or we're just going to start slow, you know, just to set expectations. So when he's out, fans generally know why, or at least enough fans know why to where like, you look to your left, look to your right. If one fan doesn't understand, you help a buddy out and you say like, nope, this is a rest day. He needs this because he needs to avoid back surgery. Like just yeah, a little bit of information here would be nice. Yeah, we'll see if we do get that information. So that's the latest with Eloy Jimenez. And when we get more, we'll provide more on SoxMachine.com. All right, let's get into this segment, which I'll nickname Nightwashing, borrowing a term that you have used, Jim, on SoxMachine.com. Bob Nightingale, in his Sunday column on the USA Today, uh, wrote quite a bit about just the really slow starts in Major League Baseball. And, of course, the Chicago White Sox are part of those slow starts And in his notebook, there's quite a few notes from a White Sox perspective. One, according to Bob Nightingale's sources, the White Sox are not interested in re-signing Lucas Giolito. And that if the White Sox are out of it, he is most definitely going to be traded before the deadline. Kendall Graveman and Joe Kelly could be on the trade block. And one team that might be interested is the Texas Rangers as they're having some difficulties closing out games. And the White Sox are planning to pick up Liam Hendricks' contract option for 2024. Would rather pay him the $15 million for next season rather than paying him $1 million over the next 15 years if they decided to buy him, buy out Hendricks' option. So really that sounds like Giolito most definitely out for 2024 if Nightingale sources are correct. Graveman Kelly could be possibly traded as well. Hendricks... Don't think about him being traded. He's going to stick around at least for the next season as well. And we'll see when he rejoins the White Sox in 2023. Jim, it's May 8th. Yeah. I am wondering (laughs) what is going on in the mind of Lucas Giolito when he hears this or reads this or is brought to his attention by family and friends that... Bob Nightingale of USA Today is reporting that the White Sox have no interest in re-signing you. Like, where is your head at on May 8th? And where do you go with this information heading into your next starts? Well, one that really struck me is like a Jerry Reinsdorf thing. Like, I think with Nightingale, sometimes it's, yeah, maybe it's Kenny Williams sometimes, but mostly it's Jerry Reinsdorf. And that struck me as a very Jerry phrasing of the way, like he characterized the information, like now we're not resigning him. Um, I think if you're Giolito, it depends on just like where your conversations in the past have gone. And if, you know, Giolito has said like, I want Jose Barrios money for an extension, you know, seven years, uh, you know, or six years, 130 million ish. Uh, and, the Sox saying, no way, um, you know, we're, we can't do that. We have no interest in going past five years. 
Perhaps it's been obvious for both sides in just a weird way, weird timing and uncharacteristically uh, blunt way of breaking that news, but maybe it's something Giolito already knows. And he's already going about his business like, well, you know, I want to pitch well for this team. I want to pitch well for this team because it serves me well as well in a contract year. So either way, whether I'm pitching for myself or the White Sox, the motives are aligned and we're all going in the same direction. And being a pitcher, it's just like, if I pitch really well, perhaps I can be pitching for a uh, contender because I can only affect one out of every five games uh, the White Sox play. So, you know, I, I think especially for him, it's a very solitary pursuit in terms of individual performance and just exactly what that means or what it doesn't mean uh, for the White Sox as a whole. So based on just, uh, you know, two years ago with the disagreement over $50,000, I think for the salary, like they've had that little uh, back and forth as well. It wouldn't surprise me if like both sides know this is generally the case and, you know, just normally not, I guess, breached like this. When it comes to the uh, you know team side being so blunt, if it were Rickon, he'd say, "Well, you know, we're always open to conversations. We like to leave every door open. You know, we value what Lucas has brought. Blah blah blah." And uh, when really, probably this answer that Nightingale uh, got from a source is probably a lot closer to how the White Sox actually regard it, and probably you know Gilito's side has already heard. There's a lot of Lucas Gilito fans within the White Sox fan community. And to tell them that enjoy the next two months of Lucas Giolito because they will be his last in a White Sox uniform. Yeah. I mean, that's a bitter pill to swallow, especially when White Sox fans are hoping that this season turns around. We talked about it in the latest episode. I brought it up as well in my Friday appearance on Bernstein and Holmes and mm-hmm. 670 The Score. The American League Central is bad. That's good news for the White Sox. It's not out of reach even though they are 12 and 23 on the season, it's still not out of reach, but for this to come out, I'm I'm curious to see on just how Lucas Giolito reacts to this. And maybe he just goes back into dominating form because he knows the more he dominates to your point, Jim. Yeah. The faster he gets out, <laughs> you know, but, but with that mentality and, and you know, his inner circle, it's like, okay, after this season, we know that we're trying to draw interest from 29 other teams and we know one team that doesn't want us. And yeah, that's uh again, that's a bitter pill to swallow as a White Sox fan. Are you saying that Jerry Reinsdorf does not know, uh, does not have his finger on the pulse of what White Sox fans want? Cause a certain panel, uh, he, he made himself seem quite knowledgeable in that yeah. regard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And, you know, if the Texas Rangers won Joe Kelly or Kendall Graveman, be my guest. <laughs> well, I think, like, Kelly and Graveman, like, I can actually see Kelly because, you know, assuming he's healthy. Yeah. Like, this is a case where, like, you know, he's pitched well the last couple times out, and the stuff is there. But I think the difference between Kelly and Graveman is, like, Kelly is an expiring contract. Like, that's Jake Diekman. Like, Jake Diekman, if the White Sox acquired him and he were a free agent after the year— we would have just shrugged and forgotten about it. But the fact that Diekman was owed a non-negligible salary after the fact, after being uh, really ragged with the White Sox, not being that good with the Red Sox either, and then being even worse, like the decline setting in further. Um, that's, I think, what it, you know, 
that's kind of how we look at the difference between Kendall, uh, sorry, Graveman and Kelly in terms of like Kelly, you know, if he, if you acquire him for nothing and White Sox will probably get just the financial relief of not having to pay the rest of his salary. Uh, if you acquire him for like just a, an A ball arm and you get peak Joe Kelly, great. If you don't, uh, you know, who cares? Uh, whereas Graveman, if you don't get that, you still have him on the books for another year and you have to try to figure out how to live with them or how to trade them. So that's why I think like Kelly probably could be moved. You know, it just a matter of if the White Sox are close enough to where like, uh, we may as, may as well use Kelly ourselves because we're close enough. We're like five games out. Maybe things break our way and what we're going to get for Kelly doesn't make that worth it. And we'll see with Liam Hendricks again. We need to see more out of his appearances yeah. in AAA as he's trying to ramp up. We'll see where his velocity is at. I mean, he's, he's trying to overcome so much. So. Yeah. That's why I, I, I'm a bit surprised that it's like already like, boom. Yeah. The White Sox are going to pick up that contract option for next year because they'd rather pay him the $15 million for the 2024 season rather than pay him yeah. $1 million over the next 15 years. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Like I, you know, at first I read it as like, Oh, that's kind of, is that generous? You know, is that like, Hey, we support you. We want you around. We're not giving up on you. That sort of thing. It could be, could be, could also be like, eh, we're going to be tearing it down. So we just want to get this, you know, we have room on our uh, payroll to accommodate the 15 million. We'd rather have that than the uh, $1.5 million over the next 10 years uh, or, or whatever the, I forget what the buyout is, but it was, yeah, the White Sox are really proud of the, how long that buyout, you know, was, yeah, extended to, to accommodate mm -hmm. Hendricks' salary, but just could be like, yeah, we just, you know, we're going to have, you know, $50 million coming out the books. We can have, Hendricks on and maybe we'll trade him, you know, for something in the middle of the year. Like, I'm not exactly sure what that was to me. It, it seems like, you know, given the interpret room for interpretation, you could just say, well, we just want to make sure that he gets back all the way before he discusses future. Like, you know, that would seem like a perfectly suitable answer that would not really reflect poorly on anybody. And the fact that they've already decided, um, you know, it offers some room to have some apprehension in terms of just, the White Sox are tearing it down and, you know, may as well have Hendricks around because they'll just get the salary out of the way quicker. Again, we'll see if Bob's sources are right, but that is the latest for Bob Nightingale on the White Sox player situation. And again, this conversation changes its tone. If this team could really turn around their season in the next couple of months. And after a good week going four and two against the twins and the reds, the White Sox now have a four game series in Kansas city. We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsors, but we'll preview the next series for the White Sox as they travel to Kansas City for four games. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, the White Sox head to Kansas City for four games Monday through Thursday as the Royals are in last place in the Barricade League Central. They are 9-26 and 26 on the season. They're already 10 games back of first place of the first place Minnesota Twins. They did recently win. They won on Sunday, but in their last 10 games, they are 3-7. and seven. And man, I don't know what is going on at Kauffman Stadium for the Royals, but at Kauffman Stadium, the Kansas City Royals are 3-16. and 16. Again, 3-16 and 16 on the season. I feel terrible for Royals season ticket holders because, man, they are watching some brutal baseball at home. Offensively for the Royals, they are a mess. They have a team OPS of 681. That's 25th in Major League Baseball. They have the second worst on-base percentage, team on-base percentage in Major League Baseball at 297. Pitching-wise, they have a combined staff ERA of 5.66. That is the second worst in Major League Baseball. They are playing like the second worst team in Major League Baseball. So hopefully the White Sox could take advantage of of this particular situation. Your pitching problems for this series, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, these are 6.40 p.m. Central Time starts. Monday night, it's Dylan Cease against Zach Greinke. Tuesday night, this is one of our two watch parties for this series, along with our friends from the 108. So we got Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday night, it's Lucas Giolito against Jordan Lyles. Wednesday night, it's Lance Lynn against Brad Keller. And Thursday, getaway day, it is Mike Clevenger against Brady Singer. Everything on paper, Jim, says that despite how much the White Sox have struggled this year, they should win this series because they've got more talent than the Kansas City Royals. We said that last year, and we said that the year before, and the White Sox lost the season series to the Kansas City Royals in 2021 and in 2022. This is the first time the White Sox are playing the Royals in 2023. What are you expecting to see out of this series at Kauffman Stadium? Well, I'd like to see what Royals fans have seen and why they're so depressed about this team and why they're they're already... There's a little bit of, um, I guess, regret in terms of like letting JJ Piccolo uh, call the shots uh, on, you know, going from Dayton Moore to his second in command uh, rather than looking outside for a new general manager just based on, you know, who they've signed, who they haven't signed what activity they haven't partaken in in terms of a uh, front office and, and acquiring talent. So I'm hoping that we see right now just how bad it's been. Um, and I think this is a good litmus test too, because you have Granke and Lyles and Keller who are all righties who have been, you know, I think mediocre at best this year. Lyles has really struggled. Singer is another one who's been, you know, disappointing, um, especially lately with this is command. And like, these are all guys the White Sox should be able to get to or wait out. And, you know, it's like we always talk about, it's hard to sweep any series, but they should, you know, like say Granky shuts them down. Like they should be able to bounce back against Lyles. If Keller has one of his good starts, like they can bounce back against Singer, vice versa. Like they shouldn't have two rough games in a row against this pitching staff, against this rotation. And uh, if they do, if they do split, if the you know, offense does get shut down again by the bullpen, like we talked about, I can see just, you know, 
wondering what this team exactly is and just how long the next six weeks are going to be to learn if the White Sox are in it or out of it, trading guys, keeping guys. Like this, I think, is a good series to define themselves a little as like not a team with a 333 winning percentage. Like not a team that's, uh, you know, 68 win bad. Like this is a team like, you know, maybe they're not good. You know, maybe they're just going to be like a, a middling team, uh, 78 to 80 wins. You know, maybe that the, the projections were right all along and saying that they have like a slightly losing record, but this would be the kind of series where they do uh, solidify themselves a little bit and get themselves out of the scary run differential out of the scary, you know, neighborhoods of, you know, bullpen ERA and, uh, hitting relievers and all these stats that we talk about in Fred over. Um, this is the time to pat them. Like the, the April was the case of these teams are all really good or playing really well. In the case of Pittsburgh, I think we're still learning. Were they good or were they just good in April? But they were playing well at the time. Uh, you know, that was a month for survival and hope that it doesn't get too bad. This is the month where uh, whatever happened in April uh, this is the month to start turning things around and to start, you know, beating up on teams that are certainly less than you. And like the way uh, Sunday unfolded with uh, 17 runs, like that's kind of more like it. And, you know, not that you can expect 17 runs every time out, but something like that where all of a sudden the stats look so much better because they had, you know, a few good games in a row, especially against the starters and, and were able to hit with some power and were able to produce like Luis Robert coming back against the Reds. Like that's something that other members of the team, like Andrew Vaughn, who'd been struggling until Sunday, Tim Anderson, who'd been kind of up and down. Like this is the time for them to step it up as well. And it takes some of the pressure off like the, the back four in the lineup, which is just trying to get by. The two hitters to pay attention to for the Royals, Salvador Perez, obviously has been a nemesis for the White Sox his entire career. He's got seven home runs this season with 19 RBIs. He's hitting 290 with a 341 on base percentage. It's like at 516. Vinny Pasquatino, is having a strong start to this season for the Royals. 11 doubles, 6 homers, 16 RBIs, 19 walks, and 17 strikeouts. That's impressive. So he's got a 276 batting average, a 372 on base percentage, slugging 504. Both of those batters for the Royals have an OPS above 850, which is impressive. The rest of the team, not good. Not good. Bobby Witt Jr. is off to a slow start, hitting 234, the 275 on base percentage. Sluggy 440. However, if Bobby Witt gets on base in this series, pay attention to him stealing bases. He's 8 for 10 this season. He leads the Royals in stolen bases. And MJ Melendez, I know that they were hopeful for him, especially being in right field and getting some time at catcher as well. He does have three home runs and 12 RBIs, but he already has 43 strikeouts this season to 12 walks and 31 games. And his OPS is at 636. So when you look at this Royals lineup and you're watching these games, you got to circle Salvador Perez and Vinny Basquetino because if there are runners on base, that is going to be where the White Sox are going to, at least the run prevention side, run into some trouble here. They really have to make sure Perez and Pasquatino are hitting with guys not on base. Uh, so it does complicate matters in this series, Jim. So at least from a White Sox pitching perspective, that's what I'm going to be paying attention to and how the White Sox handle Perez and Pasquatino in these four games. Yeah, I think Nick Prado as well is doing, he's doing okay. I think he's kind of in the upswing, although he doesn't have a great control of the strike zone right now, but he's been making better contact. But yeah, it is one of those lineups to where like, you know, 
can't let this guy beat you. You can't let two or three guys beat you. And unfortunately, we've seen that with Cleveland over the years and somehow mm-hmm. Jose Ramirez keeps coming up. So like that always, whenever you see a lineup and you think like, that's all they got to do. It's like, well, the White Sox have had a hard time limiting it to uh, those situations. But yes, to uh, underscore your point, like they have to get better at that. And that's what these series are for to uh, beat up on the underbelly of lineups, you know, for the, that applies to the pitching staff as well as the offense is like uh, when you're trying to rebound and when Lance Lynn is trying to get back on track and, and, and get on the run, like this is the team you get on the run against. And Dylan Cease to bounce back. Like this is a team for Dylan Cease to look like a Cy Young winner again. So it's on everybody. I mean, like these, these should be low pressure games normally uh, because you know, you wouldn't count on these so much to pad your record, but with the hole, the white Sox have dug themselves. Uh, that's where they are and they do have to show up. And hopefully there is a little bit of a cloud lifting and um, a little bit of sense up and down the lineup and up and down the pitching staff, the bullpen stabilizing a little bit as well to be like, well, I don't have to do it all myself because you know, other people are stepping up as well. And maybe that'll, you know, the whole idea of hitting is contagious or success is contagious uh, to uh, to bring an old Hawk saying back into play. Like could be a case here to where just uh, the panic and, and the dread might be alleviating a little bit and the talent might actually define itself a little bit in a, in a positive sense. We look forward to watching these games with you guys, especially Tuesday and Wednesday night on playback.tv slash socks machine. We'll be promoting that on social media and on SoxMachine.com as well. It is free to sign up on playback.tv slash SoxMachine. Just create an account, verify your cable or or your streaming subscription, and you'll be able to watch the game along with Jim and I and our friends from the 108 Beef Loaf, Cherizi, and My Sox Summer. As it's kind of like Mystery Science Theater presentation during the White Sox game in which we'll provide our commentary as we watch the game along with you guys. Again, that'll be Tuesday and Wednesday night. The stream will start around 6.30 p.m. Central Time for both of those nights. So hopefully the White Sox win another series, make it three series wins in a row before they come home on Mother's Day weekend and face the Houston Astros. So continue the good vibes, White Sox. You're going to need them, especially when you come home for that next homestand that has the Astros visiting, has the Guardians visiting, and the Royals will be visiting after the Guardians in that upcoming nine-game homestand. So hopefully the good vibes continue from Cincinnati, as that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to everyone that participated in the road trip in Cincinnati. Thank you to everyone that also helped out, especially on Saturday, reserving tables at the Lager House. And just being incredibly helpful and friendly to new White Sox fans that were joining the meetup. Uh, of course, it takes a village to do this. And thank you for the months of preparation along with our friends Beef Loaf, Cherizi, and My Sox Summer. Uh, and helping us prepare for that road trip to Cincinnati. We greatly appreciate you guys. I greatly appreciate everyone that got involved. And I'm not trying to create more FOMO for Jim. But definitely looking forward to <laughs> 2024's road trips. You can subscribe to the Socks Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We do also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Socks Machine. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and would like more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs>